0: you're listening to the human business narrative podcast with your host ladies and gentlemen the one and only eastern european ivan tamilkov yo what's up you lovely humans my name is ivan tamilkov digital practitioner human evangelist and startup founder of razorsharpdigital.com We help companies become more human and reach their customers faster using omnichannel marketing approach. Thank you for tuning into episode 17 of the Human Business Narrative podcast with yours truly and my special guest, Troy Hazard. If you're a first time listener, thank you for downloading my podcast. I'm truly humbled and most grateful to you for spending The time in doing so this is a podcast where we discuss human business human centricity entrepreneurship digital marketing social media and special guests and industry experts share their compelling stories for business growth the one major key takeaway that you should be extracting from each episode including this one is the importance of human centricity in entrepreneurship business and marketing in today's modern digital world. Before I forget, head on over to httpbit.ly forward slash human business to download your free copy on Five Essentials of Strategic Human Marketing. It's a great resource to have in your marketing arsenal and to reflect upon. If you would like to be a guest on this podcast, please send me an email to Ivan at RazorSharpDigital.com, or you can additionally just tweet at me at HBN Podcast. Guys, uh, Troy Hazard is a really unique and interesting individual who I was so privileged to have a very, very engaging conversation, and I am just truly invigorated by a lot of the things that he talked about on the guest interview so with that being said i'm not going to blabble any further and i want to go ahead and turn the wheel over to troy hazard so here we go hello everyone this is ivan Temelkov here on the Human Business Narrative Podcast, and uh, today I'm joined with uh, Troy Hazard. Hi, Troy. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Great, great, great. Did I pronounce that uh, correctly? Yes, you did, as in awesome. risk. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. You know, I'm, I'm a person who has a difficult last name, so uh, <laughs> I tend to ask, so I don't intentionally butcher someone's last name, especially, so uh, yeah. I thank you for the clarity. So I want to say thank you for um, hopping on the podcast to uh, jam with me, and before we we get things going, why don't you um, spend a couple minutes um, introducing yourself, tell us who you are, and um, how did you get started, and what you're doing today, and where are you going?
1: Yeah, well, that's going to take a lot more than a couple of minutes, but I'll give you the short sure. version. <laughs> So, uh, uh, clearly, uh, I'm not from America. Uh, We have been living here for almost 10 years now. We moved across from Australia uh, back in 2008. Okay. Uh, Just to try and capture a bit of an opportunity, Uh, when the global financial crisis stepped in, uh, America got hit pretty badly, as you well know. Australia Mm -hmm. did not. And so, we actually decided to sell everything up and pack up and come across here and look for opportunities because... The best way to create opportunities is to look for it in a down market when everyone else is scrambling. So that's kind of what brought us here. Um, before that, in Australia, I uh, had a number of different companies in different industries. We were in advertising, in franchising, real estate, uh, pizza restaurant, a recording studio, all sorts of weird things. But we tended to get into business where we could um, fix it essentially. So we would look for things that were broken. And then find a way to, to add value or enterprise value and get out of them for some sort of a profit. That was essentially what I did for almost 20 years before we arrived here.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, you, you've nibbled into quite a, quite a few things, right? Uh, mm. Entrepreneur, business owner, several business businesses. Um, that's a really interesting story too, you mentioned. So when you moved to the United States, was this, you said 20 years ago, right? Is that no, no. Yeah,
1: 2008 we, we got here. Oh,
0: 2008. Okay, so you arrived right around the time when the market crashed, right? Yeah, absolutely. We got here just after
1: that, and it was deliberate because that's, mm-hmm. that, that was, we saw that was a, an opportunity. We actually could see the clouds looming a little bit from our part of the world in Australia and figured mm-hmm. that there'd be some opportunities here in, in both real estate and other business opportunities. So uh, it, there was a deliberate move here to move into a market that was regressing uh, to try and pick it up on the up, upswing and, and fortunately for us that was the right move.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting you know 2008 I, I remember that you know a lot of people were scrambling I mean after the market crashed people were losing jobs you know mm. people were foreclosing on their homes mm. you know just all kinds of chaos that was happening here's you you're coming from Australia and you're invigorated and you're looking at business opportunities. So that must have been, um, that that must've been quite the challenge, right. Um, coming across the pond and, you know, coming to the U S and on top of everything, you know, this was a year, I think it was 2007, right. When I think the Mm. market crashed and 2008 was sort of, um, I guess a, a bit of a rebound year, you know, the real estate market was kind of trying to bounce back, you know, from the crash. Um, you know, Wall Street was trying to, to bounce back. So uh, what, kind of, uh, what kind of challenges did you foresee? I'm just curious, you know, and for the listeners too. What kind of challenges did you foresee when you moved to, to the U.S. from a business standpoint?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. We uh, did a fair bit of research before we got here. I'd, in fact, been coming to America uh, two or three times a year, I suppose, for uh, almost 20 years mainly doing research and just seeing trends and trying to build relationships and the like. So I had a fair understanding of the landscape, or at least so I thought. Uh, and we had set aside an amount of money to invest in the market here, and also an amount of money to, uh, to get ourselves started. And like everything, you tend to underestimate those things. The, the biggest thing that we underestimated, I think, moving here was the difference in business compliance the difference in business structure, tax, Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff was really like going back to school. And after being in business for 20 years, that was a little bit challenging, probably more frustrating than it was challenging because I had to relearn a lot of that corporate governance uh, stuff that I knew off by heart in Australia, but certainly uh, was going back to preschool here, trying to understand how to navigate my way around that. So Mm -hmm. I I probably spent the first 12 months just trying to find my way so I could get some sure. speed to market because with anything that we have done in relation to buying and selling and building businesses, it's always about efficiency and effectiveness and speed. And so until you know how to navigate your way around this stuff, you're a bit clunky and clumsy. And I think the first 12 months or so, we were certainly clunky and clumsy. Mm-hmm. Sure, but, sure, But in 2009, I started to get a bit of a pace up and, and we looked for opportunities then and, and away we went.
0: Okay, okay. You know, um, the reason I asked you that question is because um, as an Eastern European, as a naturalized U.S. citizen, I'm always intrigued by other people's stories that come across the pond. And especially not only from, from a personal standpoint, but, you know, family, but also from a business standpoint, because you know, when you when you cross, I mean, Australia, obviously, you know, the way things were done in business were probably different, but not so much different, yeah. you know, than coming over um, into the US. No, you know, someone like me, Eastern European, you know, coming from what some people consider a third world country into mm. the Western world, you know, it's really an eye-opening <laughs> experience. So yeah. that's, that's why, you know, it was interesting you mentioned that you spend the first 12 months trying to find your way around, right? Build your roadmap and figure out, you know, where you want to tackle things. And, you know, what's really interesting about that is, uh, you mentioned that, you know, you had set aside some savings, you had done some market research, uh, front, and that was a very, very smart approach because a lot of people, you know, a decade ago now weren't doing that. You know, there were a lot of business people were sort of an extent winging a lot of things or very reliant on the market without doing their market research or preparing their business plan or even having, um, Uh, a marketing plan you know to to start a business or continue their business so you know 10 years fast forward I mean let's talk a little bit about you know what are some things that you have learned over the last 10 years you know moving to the U.S. starting a business what are some of the things that that you learned specifically in business that seem intricate to you and uh, perhaps to everyone else
1: Yeah, I think the simplicity of that is that it—the move here certainly reminded me that I needed to uh, refocus on personal development and to really get into a rhythm and routine to try and spend time each day to develop my skills. Even though I've been doing this for twenty-five years now, Mm -hmm. just to ensure that you're ahead of the curve. I think over the years I kind of got a little bit lazy where. We just kept running harder and faster with the companies we were involved in, with a view that the faster we ran, the better it would be, the more we'd make, life would be fine. But arriving here, it reminded me that in order to get ahead of the curve and beat the competition and look for opportunity, you had to really just continue to develop your own personal skill set. So I got back into my age old habit of spending 30 minutes a day on personal development. And that's as simple as reading articles watching Mm -hmm. videos, uh, sourcing different industries or opportunities that I'm not quite clear on to do some research on. But typically, every single day, I will spend 30 minutes just doing that to remind myself that I can be better tomorrow than I am today, and I can continue to learn even after two decades. And in order to be one step ahead, I've got to continually try harder to look for the gap. And it's a message to all entrepreneurs, I think. We think as an entrepreneur, that means we can be a gunslinger, we can be disruptive, we can be innovative, and all those wonderful words that are buzzwords now, essentially. But the reality is, it all boils down to personal development. You want to be an entrepreneur, you've got to be better tomorrow than you are today. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you're just simply not going to keep up. If you're not changing, people are going to catch you. If you're not evolving going you're not going to find the opportunity because you'll keep going round and round circles in groundhog day. I think that's probably the simplest thing for me that that really sh- shifted my focus back in two thousand and eight that I had forgotten to make that a daily habit. I probably did it once a week, but it reminded me to get back into the the daily routine of of just trying harder
0: yeah yeah you know th- those are some very very important points that you mentioned one thing I wanted to highlight upon is um <clears throat> I was actually watching a video recently of uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. He had done, um, uh, it was Brand Minds in Asia. I think it was Singapore, I believe. And one of the things that, you know, I I try to always look through the clutter and all the gurus and everything, but this was a really key message that I think resonated quite a bit with what you said, is that you won't know exactly what you're good at or how to remain relevant and how to remain competitive unless you've, you've tasted enough. Mm. You, know, you have to taste so many different things to really understand you know uh, whether or not it 's a strength or weakness or there 's a passion there or the ability to to develop practicality around that so you made that that point, and you know that was that was head on and you know for entrepreneurs you know c- continuously to pivot right especially in two thousand and seventeen is to pivot so much to to understand that to remain relevant to keep pushing forward, to progress, you have to pivot. And that was a really good point that you mm-hmm. made. Let me ask you a question. Um, another question I wanted to ask you is, you know, kind of talking about the business as well. And, you know, the human element and emotional engagement is really, really big, something that I strongly emphasize upon in this podcast and with guests uh, as well. What was, if you were to think back in starting business, what were some of the reasons that you decided to get into business for yourself, to be an entrepreneur.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a bit of an odd story, really. Uh, I was working at a radio station back in 1989, and there was a change of management, and a change of policy, and a change of leadership, and everything was different, Mm -hmm. and I was just working 18 hours a day, day in, day out for about six or seven months, and I woke up one day and I said to my new boss, look, I'm dying here because I'm just working so hard. I need an assistant. <laughs> I either need an assistant, I need more money, or I need a holiday. And he said, well, "Right, I have a holiday." And I said, "Yeah, okay, I'll take the holiday." He said, "Good, you're fine. So um, <laughs> pretty, pretty much, uh, I I ended up going home that evening and turning on the evening news and and uh, just looking at what was going on in the world. And yeah. I rang my I rang my mother. And I said, "Look, I, I find myself unemployed now. Uh, I think I'm going to get into renovating houses." Uh-huh. And she said that's a great idea, Troy. Except you're not very handy. So oh,
0: okay. <laughs>
1: so uh, my mother was an interior decorator, and uh, sure. so we went into partnership. And I did the real estate deal; she did the decorating plan, and we hired contractors to do the work. And we ended up doing thirteen properties over the next eighteen months, and doing quite well at it. And I think that started the whole journey, uh, and and the interest in in what. You know that that shift from uh from working for someone to working for yourself and the freedom that it afforded us and the and the uh the creativeness that came from that where you were able to do and and be different things every single day uh, sure. so that's probably where it started and then after that we just headed down this these little rabbit holes I suppose of different paths that that took us on an unusual and eclectic journey but certainly opened up some some opportunity over the next 20 years.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the reason I had to ask that question <clears throat> is because I think in today's day and age, uh the rise of the entrepreneur, the rise of the digital consumer, mm. um you know, there's the barrier of entry is so so low that so many people are getting into business for themselves. Mm. I mean, I think over the last five years alone, uh, you know, alone in my network, I think everyone is has their own gig now, you know. And so the reason I had to ask is because one of the things that I try to emphasize upon is, um, so first of all, I think a lot of people, you know, that so newcomers, new entrepreneurs, you know, look at seasoned uh, business owners, right. And they think that, you know, especially the ones that are very successful in business and think that, well, this person had it figured out from the start, right is that had this yeah, yeah. there's this illusion in their mind that yes. you know they created this map and they followed it all along no yeah. they didn't you know nah. so i think i try to emphasize and that's why i asked you this question to really emphasize to listeners and other entrepreneurs they'll be listening to this episode that no you don't have it figured out nah, you know and the reason that you get into business and entrepreneurship you know like you you mentioned freedom you know that's probably one of the the biggest things one of the biggest reasons I think a lot of people nowadays are getting into entrepreneurship but um, it you know freedom is great to strive uh, towards that you know um, and I think it's a, a great goal to strive towards but you know to re- achieve a level of practicality in entrepreneurship of course that's a whole different discussion right
1: yeah um, absolutely, because absolutely And I think just to that point uh getting into business doesn't automatically give you freedom i learned that lesson quite mm-hmm. quickly where the first 12 or 18 months were kind of cool because we were making a bit of money and doing okay and i was going to lunch with my mates and having this whole concept of i can work when i want to <laughs> do sure, what i want sure. and, and the reality is it doesn't work that way at all and i i think the problem that young entrepreneurs in particular have is that they get into business without understanding. Uh, what they want that business to do for them and more importantly how they're going to get out of that business and so as a result they end up married to it and that doesn't actually give them the freedom they want because they're kind of stuck with this uh, job that uh, is not paying for itself and is not achieving some of the things that they set out to have it achieve for them because right. they didn't have any clarity of vision they didn't know where they were going and that's probably one of the biggest lessons I learned in the first probably four or five years of being in business that. In order to get in and out of business effectively, I needed to have a clarity of what that business was going to do for me and what it was going to look like when it was done. And it's always done. There will be a time and place where your business is done, where you either hand it to your kids or you sell it or you take it public or you do something, but your journey at some point will be complete. And you need to understand what that looks like on the way in to make sure you can get out.
0: Right. That's your exit strategy, right? Is this when you start, you have to essentially think about your exit strategy Um, and that's very important. And you know, it's a great point that you made too is that your journey will end because uh, one of the things that I, that I think is very evident in today's digital era is that uh, there's so much likability and similarity across businesses, Mm -hmm. across pollinates, across the digital spectrum Mm -hmm. that, Um, you know, that creates uh, a lot of saturation in the business marketplace and it's very, very hard for sustainability, you know, for a lot of businesses. And so to your point is that uh, one of the things that I've personally learned as an entrepreneur too, um, and you brought this up as well, is this, that, you know, when you do start your journey as an entrepreneur, it's probably wise to start thinking about your exit strategy because the reality of things is, you know, would you want to be rehabbing houses or, or doing whatever it is, even though you're passionate about it for 20, 30, 40 years, right? And most people want to do it for 20 years, then retire and, you know, take the family and go sailing down the coast or something, <laughs> you know? Um, that's just the reality of it. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of what I'm seeing, especially in the social media spaces, is that, you know, there's uh, people that want to be entrepreneurs because they think entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur is like this really cool thing. And you're going to be extremely profitable overnight. And little did I know that you know all the sacrifices and you know the hustle and bustling and you know trade-offs that you you're gonna have to consider throughout your journey, (laughs) you know. Right. This unrealistic perception of it. So, uh, you know, to elaborate upon your point, yes, exit strategy is extremely important because you know you don't you're not uh, realistically you're not gonna be doing the same thing you know for your entire life. I mean, uh, just one of the things that's really intriguing to me is I'm seeing how the human attention span is changing yeah. and, you know, we're becoming less and less attentive. And I think that between technology, between advertising, um, you know, we're just being a lot more distracted because everyone is bidding for our attention as consumers, companies are bidding for our attention as consumers. Sure. Um, you know, some stats that I saw, uh, I think indicated that on a daily basis, the average consumer is bombarded with about 1500 different marketing messages so that's indicative that everyone's bidding for our attention, right? Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you something else, just kind of on the entrepreneurial topic. Is uh, so when you came over, you know, uh, you know, a decade ago now, is what has been? Have you set a focus for yourself, like an area that you wanted to focus on with your business?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. The answer is that it wasn't so much a focus in business; it was a focus on lifestyle. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we saw in the American market was the size of the market, obviously, and the opportunity that afforded in a number of different industries that we were interested in. But more importantly, the, one of the main reasons for coming here was to make more and do less. And the, sure. the lifestyle slash family reason was stronger than the business reason, because I figured that if I could get a foothold on the upswing in 2009 through till now, essentially, Mm-hmm. then that would give us the opportunity to grab some market share, settle a, a, a couple of decent business concepts, and then find that balance where I uh, didn't have to work as hard and could still make a decent living and create some wealth along the way, but mm-hmm. still be at the beach making sandcastles with the kids by four o'clock. So sure. Sure. Um, our our balance was we always knew we were going to have uh, family, and this was an opportunity for us to find a a blend of uh, building an opportunity from a business and wealth perspective, but also building a family and having the time to invest Mm -hmm. in that as well.
0: Sure, sure. So you're a a fellow family, man. So uh, you completely uh, understand, you know, the question I want to ask you, uh, you you know, in that regard, too, because there's a huge component of human centricity on this podcast. Um, What advice would you give to other entrepreneurs, other business owners that are striving for that, you know, work-life balance, if mm. it even exists. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it, that's, a, that's a good point. I don't know that it does exist. We, we refer to it in our family as life blend. Mm-hmm. They, they don't, it's not about a balance of, of which, which one you're putting more weight on or which one's taking more control of your life. It's really mm-hmm. just understanding how to blend the two together. So, We have a bit of a format in our family where we start everything with a personal plan, not a business plan. If you -hmm. you start everything with a business plan then the business runs you, you don't run it. So we we start every year, we sit down and my wife Dominique and I develop a personal plan as to what we want out of that year. Mm -hmm. What what are the things we want to achieve with the kids? Where do we want to go? What travel do we want to do? Uh, What investments we want to look at? All the things that are important to us in life And then we look at the business and say, well, this is what the business has to do to support those things that we've deemed to be important in our personal plan. Now, the business is working for us. We're Mm -hmm. not working for it. So it's not about more equals more. It's about this is what we think is going to be a great life and lifestyle for us in the next 12 months. And this is what the business needs to do to help us achieve that. And then I'm working to a personal plan, not a business plan, which means that I had this opportunity to re-engineer my life a little bit and and decide that I, I want to work three days a week this year, or I'm happy to take on these five projects and, and work a bit harder. Mm-hmm. And so it all comes back to that personal uh, vision that you've created for your life. And, and you've got to keep checking yourself. We don't just do it one and done every year. We actually keep checking ourselves as the year goes on to make sure that I'm not running off track and maybe working harder than I expected I would or that we're not finding that blend between family and business. And that constant reminder of what you set out to achieve that year is the thing that makes everything flow a little bit easier for you throughout the year, I think.
0: Sure. Sure. And, and, you know, you really hit the nail on the head on that one too, is because um, there's an ask that question is because I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, other uh, Family-driven, other entrepreneurs that have families, other business owners. I think everyone, including myself, you know, having only about you know um, about three years in, in total accrued entrepreneurial experience, you know, full on, you know, uh, having an eighteen-month-old son too is, you know, can totally relate to that. But <laughs> you you really hit the nail on the head because it's really a lot simpler than. And I shouldn't really not simpler in a literal sense, but simpler in the sense that you got to have a goal. You got to start somewhere. You got to have a plan, but it doesn't have to be anything definitive because things change so much. So the point that you made, you know, to elaborate upon that is that, you know, um, create that plan, figure out what your goals are, you know, what you want to accomplish, you know, and then figure out how you're going to make it work because the reality of things is it's about doing it, right? I'm a firm believer of the execution and just doing things and you know yeah spend time planning and coordinating and strategizing but i feel like a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of small business owners too is they spend either too much time you know planning and strategizing not enough time executing you know and that's really where i think you have the biggest merit is this when you're doing things and that's when stuff starts happening right because yeah. if you keep doing more of what you're good at doing what you're passionate about you know uh, then everything else will kind of sort of fall in place. As cliche as that may sound,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. And and like I, I don't even know that small business or entrepreneurs over strategize or over plan. I think what they continually do is they continually look for the next big thing, the next idea. They're looking to to try and find that magic that will get them to the next game and and give them that instant wealth and success and fame or whatever. And so they paralyze themselves. And to your point, they do go round round circles by reconsidering the same strategy too often in effort to try and find the magic thing that's going to get into the next game i'll give you a very very brief example i was at a function in los angeles a little while back uh with a bunch of young entrepreneurs and this young fellow who's about 25 i think came up to me and uh he was talking to me about his 10 companies (laughs) he said i've got 10 companies and after about five (laughs) minutes i said dude you don't have 10 companies you haven't got a company at all you've got 10 ideas that you'd like to turn into a company, but you do not have 10 companies. Right. I went through this whole process with him and saying, if you have to arrive in, that, in any of those companies every day of the week, it's not a company, it's either an idea or a job. A company True. is something you can walk away from and know that it's paying for itself and looking after itself and maintaining an income and delivering your profit and working for you. And I, I went down this path and I was a little bit hard on him, but I was trying to get him to focus. His right. problem wasn't that he had, you know, he wanted ten companies to be successful. His problem was he needed one to be successful and then go work on the other nine ideas. But while you're working on ten different ideas, you're never going to get traction on any of them because you're too fragmented, and and you're just going around chasing your tail to right. make something successful. I mean, and that's half the, the battle I see with a lot of young entrepreneurs. It's find that focus, go inch wide, mile deep on something you think you're good at be successful at that and then go have some fun with ideas that you might have in your head or things you might yep. want to be creative on, but make sure you got the bills paid before you go looking for the sure. next, next shiny sure. object.
0: <laughs> sure. No, that's an excellent point. And, you know, ironically enough, is uh, one of the things that I'm seeing is a lot of young entrepreneurs emerging, you know, because I think that um, as a matter of fact, um, um, I just, uh, was invited to uh, on a panel to judge, um, uh, tech competition for high school uh, yeah. students that were building apps for um, a local zoo. And I mm-hmm. was just blown away at the level of expertise and knowledge these kids had. I mean, these are, mm-hmm. you know, 17 and 18 year old kids, you know, they're competing at a local and some even at a national level, you know. So it really got me thinking that, <clears throat> yes, I, I think and I'm a firm believer that education is important you know, to, to, to continue to, like you mentioned earlier on personal development, to invest in that, yeah. uh, whether you're, you know, you're a high school student or you're a seasoned professional, because that's what helps you be more, um, valuable, more knowledgeable. Mm. Uh, mm. it helps you be more relevant also, uh, in business. But the point you were trying to make is this, that you're talking about you know, 10 ideas, that young entrepreneur, right? I think yeah. everyone has ideas nowadays, yeah. but yeah the point I think you were one way I was perceiving it is is that in order to build a company, you know, uh, obviously you have to have, you have to achieve a level of sustainability, which cool. typically takes, you know, some time. I know working with, uh, startups in the past too, is, you know, um, at least four years, you know, and most of them fail in the first four years anyway, you know, because of, you know, changing market or whatever. Uh, if you get past the four year mark, you know, you've got something, but then, are you cash flow positive? That's your sustainability, sure. you know? Uh, so when you start seeing cash flow positive, and, you know, you're seeing some growth and you're hiring more resources and you've got uh, more sales coming in and you've got, you know, some kind of an approach and plan that seems to be sustainable and keeps being fruitful. Then that in essence, I think to me is where you're starting to see growth in a company, right? Because now it's becoming a brand and it's not just an idea, you know? So, to your point, <laughs> I probably would have laughed if someone told me that, you know, uh, that they have 10 companies and trust me, I know a couple of young entrepreneurs <laughs> that one is a COO of a company and he's 19 years old and, uh, he's got a couple of, uh, of other adventures going on and I'm sitting here and I'm like, great product, great service, but not enough attention, you know? Yeah. And I think there is a sense of, um, uh, again, illusion that they're doing it all well. I mean, you can't realistically be running, you know, more than one, <clears throat> two, you know, companies and be successful at those unless, of course, you've got a full staff around you. And, yeah. you know, um, it's, I mean, you know, and so I just wanted to elaborate upon that. So, um, the next question, you know, that I, I wanted to ask you, so when people come to you, like, what are some of the most common questions? What are some of the most common discussions that you have with people?
1: In relation to de- developing and growing their businesses?
0: hmm yeah.
1: Yeah, so there's probably two fronts there that I get a lot of uh, inquiry on. One is, uh, what is the secret sauce to being able to market and position my business in a competitive environment and uh, give me some tips and hints to set me on a path? And the other one is, uh, where do I find money to grow my business, whether it's private money, or um, debt, or some other sort of facility to help them get to the next level. So they're the two things I get asked the most. And, and the interesting thing is there's really not an answer that's, uh, or an easy answer for mm-hmm. either of those questions. From a market positioning perspective, the only way to really understand how you can be competitive and to market and position your business well in a current confused and cluttered environment is to do the homework. You've got to know what your competitors are doing. You've got to know what your consumer wants from you. You've got to be mm-hmm. relevant. And you've got to really, really uh, put your hand on your heart and ask yourself the question, does anybody care about me? And if the answer is yes, then continue down that path and try and find out why they care and how you can maybe anticipate their needs rather than just service them. Because we've got to try and stay mm-hmm. one, set ahead, one step ahead of not just our competitors, but also our consumers. And the classic example there is Apple where they've, They've done just that in the last 10 or 15 years. They've stayed one step ahead of their consumer and given them things they didn't even know they wanted.
0: So mm-hmm.
1: that's the marketing answer. The, the funding answer is, well, tell me why I should and give me a real reason that I should take a risk on you and your idea or your business mm-hmm. when, when you potentially are not or have not. And what I mean by that is that have you put your house on the line? Have you gone out and maxed your credit cards? Have you done everything you possibly can to try and fund your adventure before mm. you've come to me looking for financial support? Because if you haven't, then you've not tried hard enough and you're not prepared to risk your own money. You'd rather risk mine. And therefore, I'm out. I, I have, I've got no, no, no reason to keep talking to you. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs just don't get that. You've got to show me that you have bet the farm on this idea and you are all in and then I'll listen to you. But if you've done that and you want to make sure you've kept the family home and you've not maxed your credit card, you ain't going to use my money to get you to the next game. I can tell you that.
0: (laughs) Well, Troy, I think you, uh, that, that is a very, very, uh, of, of high interest topic to me. Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, as a fellow entrepreneur, one of the things that I have tried to do through my, my other endeavors and personal branding is to, really emphasize just that in what you said to other people. Um, as a matter of fact, there's a medium post that I wrote on my first year of entrepreneurship and the things that I had to undergo. And, um, those probably the best post that I've written in, uh, 12 years of my professional career. And a lot of people are sitting here looking at this, like you took those kinds of sacrifices. I'm like, I bet yeah. I, you bet, you bet I did, because yeah. the reality of things is, is that I don't think entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs, uh, truly understand what it takes. And especially when it comes to, you know, VC money or any kind of other investment that you might be looking at for uh, for your business to fund your idea. Basically, you know, investors look for exactly what you just mentioned, is that they want to see that you are literally on the red line, uh, as they would say, you're at the edge of the cliff. you know, and you're having second thoughts about, okay, do I cut my losses and they want to see how many losses you have? Or, you know, do I seek uh, a redemption through, you know, trying to find an investor or someone else who's willing to fund my adventure. So I'm great. You mentioned that because that's a very key key point in this episode of the podcast, uh, since it does talk about entrepreneurship and, you know, that is the human element too, because, um, in essence, a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand that, like you said, if you don't max out your credit cards, if you don't put your house on the line, if you know your house is, or your car is uh, about to get repossessed because you've literally put <laughs> everything into this because it's everything or nothing at all. And look, yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs, I know a lot of entrepreneurs, I know a lot of investors, uh, Troy, to be honest with you, investors who have sold a couple of companies, they owned a couple couple of companies, sold them. Now they're in the investment game that they literally are playing it safe, but then they expect the entrepreneurs that they invest in to be literally on the edge, you know? So it's like, you can't truly resonate with someone if you haven't been in their position, you can't truly understand, you know, what an entrepreneur is going. If you haven't, I mean, some of the conversations that I have in some of the videos that I've put out there, for instance, you know, I talk specifically about that is that, look, you're not gonna understand unless you're in that position. If you're trying to build a business and you haven't put yourself on the edge to where you sacrificed everything and you know that the sky is about to fall down on your head, then you haven't really truly experienced. You know, so you can't really go to an investor or seek VC money and say, Hey, I need 2.5 million dollars, you know, because I need operational, you know, I have operational costs, I have to pay myself. You know yeah. I have to feed the family, I have to pay my mortgage, my car payment, you know I have to get grocery when in fact, you haven't really put anything on the line, you know and i think that's a really good point. The reason I'm spending a couple of minutes elaborating upon that is to really emphasize the importance to listeners of the podcast because there are a lot of small business owners, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of want be entrepreneurs, I should say that listen to this podcast but they don't truly understand that you know you have to really go all in that's all there's to it you got to go all in if you want to be uh successful so Troy I know we've been jamming for about 30 minutes (laughs) and I've truly enjoyed this conversation you know tell me and tell the listeners more importantly if they want to connect with you online or just in general how can you be reached best
1: uh look I'm the easiest guy to find Troy has it uh, is an unusual name just a bit like yours mate so <laughs> it's pretty easy to catch me uh, we've got uh, the usual social media aspects of facebook and twitter and, mm-hmm. and all that wonderful yes. stuff but, uh, and uh, our website is simply troyhazard.com
0: excellent 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 thank you for throwing that out there troy this was definitely one of the best conversations in a while <laughs> for the podcast so thank you so much for taking the time to join me i really really appreciate it
1: no problem thank you
0: and there you have it, guys. That was the uh, guest interview with Troy Hazard. And I hope you guys enjoyed it just as much as I did. This was a really great conversation because uh, I could really resonate with Troy quite a bit, especially with uh, you know some of the um, challenges that he had encountered when he first moved to, uh, to the U.S. and adapting to the American market and so on and so forth. If you guys enjoyed this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you shared on your social networks with other individuals who might find value in this podcast or the information that has been shared. And that about wraps it up. This was episode 17 of the Human Business Narrative podcast with special guest Troy Hazard and yours truly, Ivan Temokov. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I really, really appreciate it. And as always... Keep it human. Take care. Bye-bye.